You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Some of what you'll hear will be interviews with other mental health professionals or former and current clients. In this case, these interviews are voluntary, not conditional to the status of a person presently in therapy, and those interviews are not considered a therapeutic session or a recommendation for forms of treatment. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the After Session with Philip Lewis, and this is the podcast called Just Being. Uh, if you read my blog, I broached the subject just a bit um, as a collective, you know, how folks are socialized to view themselves and view each other in a certain way and the impact that might have on our overall wellness and um, the way we treat each other. But today, particularly, I want to talk about my experience and the experience of just being for black men, which I think is important, not more important um, than any other person's experience. But for me particularly, it my ability, I feel, to just be is limited because sometimes it includes the possibility of emotional or physical harm based off of perception. Now, I know a lot of people talk about or know about implicit bias, racism, and negative beliefs or views about people. Um, and that, I think I've gotten to a certain point in my life, and I hope most people have uh, gotten to the point where, you know, I really don't care about what someone thinks or believes of me. It's when that belief becomes an action that is pretty problematic and dangerous. So, for example, I'm walking down the street and you think I might rob you or black people steal. Whatever goes through your mind when you see a black man walking home from the gym. That's fine. Hold that belief. Continue walking. Live your life with that negative connotation. I could care less because I know who I am and what I'm about. However, when you respond off of that belief, as in you were now acting off the belief that something is about to happen to you, even though it has not, that's when it becomes dangerous for me and might become dangerous for you because I'm obviously going to have a reaction. So that's what I want to talk about today. Later on, I'll share my experience of just being, but I invited two young black men, three, maybe, he'll join us later um, to discuss their experiences and for us to talk about it openly and how it impacts the mental health and, and the mind and how we show up in the world. So my first question, I um, have the belief that, or excuse me, I figured out at a certain point in my life that I have been indoctrinated to see myself a certain way. So I used to go or try to go on runs. I started running again in November on the street. And in this process, I used to consciously think I need to wear a bright colored t-shirt. I need to wear the over the head headphones. So people know that I have headphones in my ears and I might not be able to uh, hear them if they're trying to speak to me. I need to have leggings on underneath my shorts. So people know that, you know, that's what runners run in and, and some bright running sneakers to send the message to any and everybody that I'm literally just running. And I thought this concept of what I put on my body having to vol give validity 
or um, give an understanding of for for everyone else that my body, my existence in the space. Um, is valid because of what I'm wearing or what I'm doing, and I have to send that message. I thought that I was creating this unnecessary anxiety for myself, right? Being hyper-correcting or over-correcting the things that I do and how I represent myself or what I put on to bring validity to existing in a space. My brother to my left, does that resonate with you? It does. I understand the bright colors. I'm also a runner. I've been running for quite some time and it's safety for yourself. Um, not all the time uh, people in motor vehicles can see runners or they might not be paying attention or something, <laughs> but having those reflective colors is definitely just an additional um, safety feature because when you're running, you kind of don't have anything to protect you. But I also understand that. You don't have to dignify that you just want to go on a run, right? You should just be able to go out and express whatever you want to do. If it's walking, running, jogging, skipping, do it in your own space. Oh, I get the safety part, but I'm particularly talking about someone else's perception of seeing a black man run down the street, particularly in a neighborhood where they don't see a lot of black people running down the street. Right. So, yeah, I might get hit by a car, but I also might get shot. This is true. A lot of people don't like they don't like to see black people running down the street. They don't like to see, or you think they have a preconceived notion of why someone is running down the street, or this particular person might be running in there. Right. I think in their mind they might think that something is going on. They're not just going for a run. Right. So perceptions might impact your emotional or physical well being. Yes. Okay. If we take it outside of your physical presence in a space and take it to your emotional state at work and your family, your interpersonal relationships and your intimate partner relationships. How do perceptions impact your way of showing up? I'm glad you asked that actually. Um, when I was growing up, I used to be labeled as like a pretty boy and I had to act a certain way or I couldn't have guilty pleasures or I, I kind of fit into a picture based on like my appearances and I was supposed to act a certain way and when people saw me or they talked to me and they're like oh you don't act like the rest of the pretty boys and it's like just because I like to keep myself neat and like clean that doesn't really make make me that doesn't give them the right to label what kind of person I should be when did you start exercising your right to be the person you wanted i used to try to fit in to what they wanted me i was living living inside the box no i think um i'd say the past two years i've been doing things that i enjoy for whatever reason um and not living into those social constructs my young brother you wrote in your music that your dad told you that it was okay to cry and ask for help did you listen no, <laughs> no, um, I didn't always listen, but as I've grown older and under, understand more and more how important it is to, uh, as a man, to be able to show emotion and um, cry, ask for help, all things like that. I've come to appreciate him saying that to me at such a young age, mm. um, that that's okay. Um, you know, shout out to my dad, man. 
What stopped you from listening? Definitely the world and what the world believes a man should be. Uh, what the world believes a man should act like. Uh, what the world believes a man should look like. Things of that nature. I know I, I let a lot of those things influence uh, how I acted as someone who's trying to become a man. Uh, so, yeah. What made you start listening? Uh, I think this comes with age, honestly. Um, as I get a little older, I start to understand things a little bit more. I start to understand that I don't care as much, you know, what the world believes a man should be. Um, about what I believe a man should be. Um, and what I should be, specifically. Because, uh, of course, you know, the definition of a man can change from man to man. So, uh, like I said, I think it just comes with age. As I, as I get older, I start to understand a little bit more. Um, it's not about what the world thinks. It's more about what I think and my experiences and things. I would let that influence what I believe a man is. Yeah. What about being black and a man, the masculinity aspect? What are the preconceived notions we throw onto each other and then onto ourselves? The being there to support a family, um, they have to be super strong. Like they have to hold the world on their back. Right. And I feel like the family dynamic has changed a little bit, especially in 2023. Like it's okay to split things up, but like when I was growing up, the men had to do mostly everything. And I know it was the same like for my father, so he was just passing down the knowledge that he had or he had he had experienced, excuse me, not that he had, but this those were his experiences as well. I know my grandfather one year worked three hundred and sixty five days in one year, mm-hmm. and like they didn't see him before he was out of the house before the sun came up every day, and he was in bed when this after the sin came home each day so um i feel like he took that um and like passed that on just that men had to be there to support his family what can men not be weak can't be weak can't be emotional um you gotta be tough um i mean i don't like looking back now some of the older men in my neighborhood they they wouldn't even smile it's just (laughs) You were hard all the time. You know what's so funny? <laughs> I was walking down the street this morning and I was listening to a cool guy's album. <laughs> and uh, there was a line that he said in the album that like really made me smile. Like I was walking down the streets laughing and smiling <laughs> to myself. And I passed another black man and it was like he didn't know what to say. It was like he was shocked that I was just like yeah. a smiling guy coming down the street. And it hit me. I was just like, whoa, people don't really know what to do or they think there's something wrong with you. If you are headed in a direction with a purpose, if you aren't serious, if you are on a mission, but if you're just someone who's walking in the morning smiling, because sometimes I walk to think and someone just dropped a really cool album that I loved and it made me smile. Yeah. And it was, it blew my mind. So it was just funny that you said that. Sorry, continue. Go ahead. That's really good. And I've experienced that. Like I'm by now a laugher. I smile a lot. That's that's just what I do in the morning. Like it's it's a part of me. And and so I realized 
growing up, many people didn't smile or laugh. And especially when you came across someone as you were walking or running, they might look at you like kind of weird, like, why, why is this dude happy and smiling all the time? But it's like, why can't we be? It's what life is short and enjoy your life to your best um, um, ability. Um, but yeah. So we can't be weak. We have to be tough. Mm-hmm. Can't be emotional. What is weak? Crying. Crying is weak. Okay. And he's, that's that's how it was like portrayed. Um, yeah. Weakness is is any is like the opposite of strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at times, weakness would be thrown at you as if it was the equivalent of, of being a woman. Mm-hmm. It's it's like <laughs> we can't. You know, it, it was always those things like you know, don't play like a girl, don't fight like a girl, mm-hmm. don't cry. And it's just like at, at some point, it becomes a lot of. You don't even get a definition. It's just things that you don't do. Because right. um, my next question was going to be, what about crying? Is is like what does that make? How how is this a weakness because you cry? I don't. I think it's a weakness. But when you're showing emotions, I think showing that's the emotions. part of of being weak because that's what I think they associate with women. Mm-hmm. Women show their emotion. They get frustrated super easy and i'm saying this you in, think they in do. quotes like I'm, I'm air quotes right yeah so the perception is that we're right. frustrated easily right okay go ahead and i was just, yeah just saying that women show their emotions um a lot easier than men should or this is what society has kind of told us mm-hmm. i grew up around a lot of older black men that's kind of the the um the role models i had to look up to to uh to create my idea of what a black man should be. So it was always, you know, well-dressed, suited and booted in church, um, nice cars. Uh, what does all that mean? I, I'm i not sure. I think it's supposed to portray that you have it all together, mm. in a way. Uh, that you have value and worth? Yes, mm-hmm. I would say. So the external gives your internal validity. Right. Uh, Did that help you? No. Because I just feel like, one, for me as a person, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel, I don't have a lot of, like, external things that I need. Like, I don't, I don't care about nice cars, things of that nature, or, like, nice clothing, anything like that. Um, so it, it didn't help me define what a man should be to me, but it gave me examples, Right. This is what it could be. Um, let me realize that's not that's not kind of what I want to be. So even realizing what you don't want to be as a man helps you um, mold who you want to be as a man. Okay. So and outside of the black community, outside of the external giving you validity, you have to have it all together. You have to be strong enough. What does you, what did you what message did you get as a child that a black man should be from the world? I got the message that we have to be quiet. Okay. As a black man, you know, they're going to criticize you no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. But they put it on us and they want us to be quiet. I got the message that um, I had to be excellent, be exceptional black man. Like I couldn't be all the stereotypes. I had to be um, perfect, bulletproof. Um, resilience, the most educated, the most uh, exceptional 
in order to be just that same table as everybody and just to fit in. Um, and I remember in one group uh, that we were having, I for those listening, I, I um, host a, or used to host a group for black men um, for a support group. And uh, someone had brought up that, or gave me a compliment or something and said, oh, you know, thanks for leading this or whatever. It's always good to see that someone as accomplished as you, you know, still giving back, something like that. And I had said, I, I don't know what specifically said, but he was trying to compliment me or thank me. And I asked, do you know why I sit in my office where I sit and have everyone else sit on the opposite side where all my degrees are, I think is what he was referencing. And he's like, no. And I was like, because I can't look at the wall with all my degrees. I know for everybody else, each one of those means something. It gives validity and worth to this guy's an expert. He's got a doctorate. He knows this thing. He Not only did he get this education, he has all these certifications and different types of modalities and treatments and he's well versed and i said i sit where i sit so i can't see those because when i look over there none of that represents a person who was accomplished but it represents a person who didn't like themselves and didn't accept themselves and thought that he needed to get the next thing to give validity to what he was doing and how he was practicing and not to discount any of the stuff that i've i've accomplished but I always wonder if I would have started, if I could go back in time and tell myself that I'm good enough just because I am and nothing has to give me value, how much further or how much more I would have accomplished out of just love for myself as opposed to being motivated for not liking something about myself or not thinking that I was good enough. Not being good enough was my motivator because I needed to be the exceptional black man, not I love who I am, and that can be a motivator. So I, my experience was I needed to be excellent in order to have worth. Going to that, I think at a certain point in my life, and I'll ask you and I'll share my story later, I realized that um, people stopped seeing me as a person and started seeing me as a threat. And that message came at seven years old. Now, mind you, I was probably seven years old and six foot by that time. I'm joking, but I was pretty, I was pretty big as, as a kid. And then I actually started shaving, had a full beard at 13. So I know that I hit my growth spurt pretty, pretty quickly. But there was a point in my life where people literally, you know, took me as not a threat. He's just a kid. Um, I can walk up to someone and pump their gas or, or open a door for an, a, a young lady or whatever and show these acts of kindness because... I just was taught by my mama that if I'm sitting somewhere or if I see a black woman at a gas pump and she comes out the store and I'm not pumping the gas for her, I'm going to get my behind with just something because that's not how black men are supposed to treat black women, right? But at a certain point, I couldn't do those things anymore because even my people in my own community, especially people outside of my community, um, transitioned or no longer saw me as just a person and then saw me as a threat. Was there any experience or any um, similar age or time or point in your life where you think the view that the world had of you shifted and you couldn't just be anymore? I mean, yeah, there's, there was actually a couple times, um, in school and it, it actually did a whole reverse. Like I used to go to a private school and, um, I came from a multi-racial background so my mom would drop me off at school and she'd be you see this white lady coming up 
dropping her three black kids off at a private school. They'd look at us, stare at us as we got out the car, walking in grocery stores with a white woman, like one white woman and three black kids. It's just like back in the 90s, it wasn't very appealing. Um, a lot of white people judged her. She got a lot of just disgusting looks and I felt bad. So for you, it started early on. There wasn't a transition in how the world viewed you? Yeah, it's, it's, I was just thrown into it. Right? I didn't have a choice. Uh, this is what the world was showing me who I was. And how did you deal with that? I adapted. I made my own. What's adapting? Narrative. I told myself this, I am who I am, not what anybody else, when they see me, I'm not that person. I am who I want to make myself. At what point did you start doing that? In college. When I, I think when I was by myself, I had that opportunity to just, you know, sit down and really look at myself in the mirror and be like, you know, at some point you have to stop letting people judge you and tell you who you are. And you need to find out yourself who you are. And before college, how did it impact you? Every day, what I wore to school, how I wore it to school, um, how I walked, how I talked, everything. I think my whole life was just basically learned through other people. And that manifested as what? Not being myself. AKA depression? <laughs> It meant, that was one of the many things that it manifested into. Tell me more. I always felt lost. Not knowing who I was is is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And when you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you basically say, I have no idea who this person is going to be today. Mm -hmm. Because the first three people you know, that look at me might think that I look crazy. And then now I'm going the whole day thinking that I'm just a crazy person. There was a time uh, where you and I were working together and you had said that you were coming to therapy so that you would never hurt the way you were hurting before. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Okay. And I said, I feel sorry for you. I said, that means you'll never want to feel again. Do you remember that? I do remember that. How do you, what do you think about that now when you reflect on our time together and the way you wanted to show up in the world afterward? Um, <laughs> uh, it took me some time, but I, I had to learn the importance of pain um, and feeling the entire range of, uh, of human emotion. Um, just feeling happy all the time, you know, you don't really get the experience, get the full experience. How can you appreciate the good times if you never had bad times? Um, so just kind of going through that process and learning more um, about the importance of pain, things of that nature. Uh, I was reading the Bible a whole lot, and that, that kind of helped me too because it, you know, it emphasizes how much God takes um, these, these low points in life and, uh, and turns them into some of our greatest trials. So it took me some time, but I certainly matured and learned how important pain can be in, uh, in life. I thought your pain for a bit came from your view of yourself and uh, your relationship and how you're supposed to be responding to these relationships. Was I wrong? No. Okay. No. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with that for sure. Okay. 
So how does societal's perception on just what you were talking about being a man and being a black man, how does that impact the psyche? Um, I think it can make us feel like we're not good enough at times. If we're not everything the world expects us to be. So I think I had a lot of that going on. Uh, and I do think that played a part in, you know, the way I was feeling, you know, when I first came to you, feeling, you know, depressed and anxious about things, so. Okay, okay. A bit ago I asked um, in, a, in a group setting to define masculinity and blackness. Oh, yeah. And my young brother sent me his definition. Is it okay if I read it? Yes, yes okay. Please. Blackness covers a multitude of traits. Blackness is powerful. For me, masculinity operates on a spectrum and is shown as being accountable, reasonable, sustaining, and loving. We tend to learn and define blackness and masculinity based on our environments and what society says. But we owe it to ourselves to revisit history and define both blackness and masculinity for ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to fall in love with us, just as God created us. We don't owe society anything. You remember that? I do. What's your definition now of blackness and masculinity? Um, I would say for sure it's more in line with, with that. Okay. Uh, specific, a specific quote, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. What's yours? I actually agree with that. I think when I was asked that question the first time, I was asking everybody else, looking up, like Googling, what does it mean to be black? What is what is masculinity? Um, and listening to that quote, I feel like masculinity is what I make it. Blackness is what I want it to be. So I, I don't think there's a right definition, but if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd go with that one. Thank you. I called um, my best friend the other day after I had a session with a black man, uh, one of my best friends who you'll hear from later, Satima Davis. Um, and I had a session and she picked up the phone and immediately I just started bawling and I couldn't even articulate. It took me a second. She's less like, breathe, what's going on? What happens? She was really afraid because I don't really have that kind of emotion. And not, not that it's laughable, but what she thought was happening was not happening. She, you know, the therapist, are you physically safe? Are you emotionally safe? And then we go down, you know, the list of things that, that we might need to do. So she's thinking she needs to call the police. And me, I'm just having a reaction after this session because um, I had a, a session, session with someone and I was just like, man, I'm doing this therapy all wrong because folks come in here and I work with them on adapting and building coping skills for depression and anxiety. And maybe they process this trauma or, or these things that come from microaggressions and how the world views them. And then I send them back out into the world that's going to do it to them like, all over again. And it's just like, I'm here, but I feel like sometimes this space or this work we do in the space of therapy is ineffective because, yeah, you can come and you can get better and your depression goes away, your anxiety gets addressed. But if you're going back to a job where you can't be yourself or you're going back to work, running down the street where you're afraid someone might accost you just for running or being in the grocery store with your parents and people looking at you this, this type of way, eventually all those little things will accumulate again. And now we will have this baggage of all of these messages in our environment that is telling us something about ourselves. And then we have to process it again. 
So I think process it again, process it again in therapy. So I think we have to reverse that. We have to put messages in our environment that say otherwise, that would be a sticky note. That would be me walking down the street and not moving out of the way of a white person. If they don't look me in my eyes or say good morning or all of the other things, um, or disrupting the system in some way. What are your thoughts? Is that bad for a therapist to say for like now that we're done through the therapeutic process and, and you see my, my thoughts or my other side of it? Definitely not. But as a person who is, <clears throat> as someone who is trying to get better because I know they have a problem, going to see a therapist is more than just doing what's best for you in that one space. I got you, but you don't have a problem. The world gave you a problem, in my view, right? So when I say that folks come and I untangle or try to de detach or separate this negative view that they hold about themselves that's been given to them by the world, definitely, that's some therapeutic work. Sorry, go ahead. No, but you don't have to accept anything. Like if I give you a gift, you don't have to accept it. You can leave it where you found it. Right. Just because the world is giving me something does not mean I have to take it. And that's the part that, no, it's not. But that's the part that I think that they have to understand. Like you can teach me anything and then you try to go out into the world and like it's, it's not happening the way you were in class, like learning it. But you have to make it work, right? You can't just expect because now that you know what peace is, you can't expect everyone to be peaceful to you. Oh, but I can definitely make sure my environment is peaceful. Correct. But yeah. that again, that's you. You're you're setting those boundaries. You're setting what you accept, what can be given to you. Thank you. I would say, I think it's therapy still important to do because of the processes you learn. Mm. Right. So I think it's less about um, it's less about yes, you, you're going back into the world that that may hurt you again, but you're better prepared. Will hurt you again. Will hurt you again. But you're better prepared for it. Right. That's that like um, sad to me. It is. That's why I think we need to disrupt the system. But I guess <laughs> you know I'm just a radical. <laughs> no, I understand that. But I think the whole thing for me is I'm so much better prepared now. Right. It's just like. That's good to hear. I'll I'll experience pain again. Uh -huh. I'll feel it again, but I I know I know how to deal with it. Um, like you said, we have processes for dealing with, you know, um, depression and anxiety, and I'm I'm better better equipped to deal with those things. Mm. I don't I don't think um, pain, difficulty, and things in this life go away. Oh wow, that's much a much different young man than I met. Much different. Um, <laughs> I think that they're, we're going to experience um, trials, things of that nature, all throughout our life, but. As we grow, we um we understand how to handle them better. So because you're allowed to feel what you feel. Exactly. Okay. And ask for help. Cool. So thank you. I, I like playing the devil's advocate. Um, but I do still in the back of my mind think I, I need to do something to disrupt the system. So for me, um, I think that's what this work is about. Yep, we can come here and I think I famously always say, I don't really teach coping skills. Uh I mean, we can talk about breathing techniques, tapping, all of these things, which are great. Um, but I always want to see if we can change how we're responding to the crap that's going to come. Because the crap is going to continue coming. Um, but I guess that's just my therapeutic style of thought. So 
a couple weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, you, we were talking about the possibility of doing this podcast. And you said to me that the things that I was doing, um, I'm a good person or something like that, because the thing that I do or the thoughts that I have in my head are going to help a lot of people. And my response to you was, I'm literally just trying to save myself. Do you know what I meant or what do you think I meant? Ben? I feel like you meant that you have something, there's like a hole inside of you and you're trying to fill it by providing as much joy or peace or tranquility to other hurt black men. Hmm. Can I take a swing? Sure. Maybe um, you're trying to save many other black men, like you are saying, just like you. Mm. So in a way, saving yourself, you know, people you, you see yourself and, um, I don't know, younger black men coming up that may face the same situation as you. Mm. Um, that's kind of how I interpret it. Mm. But what, what did you mean? I'm literally trying to save myself. <laughs> like there's no <laughs> interpretation. Um, and, and I guess we'll I'll explain later when, when I tell you the story of just being, but like all of these concepts and all of these things, um, are really to, to address the trauma that I've experienced. And I get so much strength from you two, especially, and, and everyone else I work with who literally comes into my office and practices the things that I say. Because sometimes, I'll be honest as a therapist, I'm afraid to do the shit myself, right? So, but when we have a collective, when we have people behind us, right, or a tribe or someone who says it can be done because we're doing it together, or I will try and do it too, um, I think it becomes a little easier and, and that's what therapy has been for me well not you know therapy with other people because we'll talk about disrupting the system we'll talk about and and, and validate these experiences as being black men or or woman I always i have a lot of women that i work with and i would say you know i don't know what it's like to be a woman and i know this is probably sexist but i know you, you got a, a lot that you're going through in your corporate world and all of these things but let me talk to you about how, how we can address that and how we should push back against that. And seeing all of my clients push back makes me walk down the street, not moving out the way for someone who doesn't acknowledge me. Um, makes me think that, hell yeah, I need to make this shirt for not just me to wear, you know, and take the burden off, actually just feeling like I need to prove to someone or tell someone that I'm literally just a black man running. You do not have to fear me but all the other people who have that concept. Because I'll be 100% honest, for a very long time, running down the street was terrifying for me. Not because I, I just had this constant, nothing happened really, I mean, other, yes, something did happen, but I wasn't in physical danger. I literally associated running down the street as like emotional, psychological, and physical death. And then it became a reality when our brother Ahmad passed, right? Just for running. Um, and it just made me think even more that this is real. This is something that we're all struggling with and I need to do something so that I don't have to think about it anymore so that I can explore the full range of human emotion, the human condition and being able to just be while preserving my physical and psychological well-being. And I think that if we do it collectively, you find a friend, you find a therapist, you talk to your sister, your brother about any experience, not just being a black man, but being a woman in a corporate world, being 
trans, being um, whatever, if you just can't be you, having these discussions or trying to push back in the environments that you can't be um, is a start. So that's what I meant when I was saying, trying to save myself. Thank you. So this this Just Being podcast is kind of in line with um, an initiative that I started called, called Just Being Incorporated. And um, I'm going to share my experience with Just Being. So I wrote this piece called Just Being, A Danger, A Challenge, and A Mission. I was seven years old when I learned that just being a black kid riding a bicycle wasn't okay. I was in the first grade and I'd just been given my first bicycle. One afternoon, my sisters and I were riding after a bike lesson. We were on our way home and I was feeling the adrenaline pedaling down the Stanford, Florida streets. Suddenly, I was blindsided. Out of nowhere, a large dog leapt at me and knocked me to the ground. The dog barking and bit, I was attacked. I tried using the bike as a shield and my sister yelled to try and scare the dog away. I saw a white couple run toward their pet and try to restrain him. I was on the ground bloody and they said, are you okay? Our son and his friends trained the dog to chase black people. It's for safety. What did they expect me to say in return? Oh, that makes sense. No worries. Forget about it. They stood there looking down at me, a terrified seven-year-old black boy who had just been assaulted by the perfectly trained attack dog. My sister helped me to my feet. We saw our mom running down the street because she had heard the noise. She heard the screaming. And she was yelling, what happened? And all I could say was a dog. My lips were trembling. My voice and throat were sore from crying and screaming. I could barely speak. It would be more than two decades after I rode a bicycle again. I was a teenager when I learned that just being a black person jogging outside would incite anger and hatred. I ran track in high school and in college. And after, and excuse me, and I would train with the cross country team in the fall to stay in shape until the spring track season arose. One day, while out on a run, I heard someone yell in my direction, fucking nigger, stay out of this neighborhood, nigger. Don't run around here again. I looked around at my teammates who were all white and nobody said anything. We just kept running. When we got back to school, the team decided that I wouldn't run with them anymore or we'd take another route on the days that I did. Throughout my adulthood, I've seen other black kids, teenagers and adults, pay the ultimate price for just being. On February 26, 2012, Trayvon Martin was followed through a neighborhood, my childhood neighborhood of Sanford, Florida, and shot. On February 23, 2022, excuse me, 2020, Amada Aubrey was murdered while jogging outside. My childhood to manhood, from my childhood to manhood. These and so many more stories of black people just being marked my subconscious. I learned that I would always be restricted in some way. Now as a therapist, I preach just being despite how hard it is. In the summer of 2020, more and more black men came to me seeking therapy. They desperately sought a space to just be. 
without concern for their emotional or physical well-being. For, t- for two years, I counseled on the ad- idea that all people should allow themselves to just be, even if it might result in harm. I've stressed that we must all understand the emotional and physical freedom sometimes comes at a cost. That eventually we must weigh our freedom against safety. That this is just how it is to be black in America. I've challenged my clients to allow themselves to enjoy the things that others aren't restricted by due to their race. Such restriction of self, even in small, unnoticeable moments, accumulates to an emotional debt that can be incredibly hard to pay off if we keep letting the small moments add up. Instead, instead of asserting our freedom, we pay it back by losing sleep, growing irritable, becoming anxious, unable to connect, and enjoy time with others. For two years, I worked on this just being concept with other black men and women. And then another moment when I was pushed to do the very same thing I encouraged other black men to do. On November 8th, 2022, I went on a run and I had skipped the gym that morning. I had my clothes anyway. So that day I told myself I was going to do the thing, the hard thing. I was just gonna be. It was a great run until I turned the corner of the street to my office. Ahead of me, another runner, who I assume was also running on his lunch break. The only difference between us is that he was white. I watched him as the white runner approached a man and a woman walking up ahead. Hearing their footsteps, the pair looked back and politely moved to the other side. But when it came my turn to pass the couple, the man put his hands in front of the woman in a protective stance, and they waited until I had passed to begin walking and talking again. I stopped running when I got to the end of the street. I slowed to walk and turned back around to my office building where the couple was walking. As I turned to walk up the steps, the woman gasped and put her hands up as if she had been held by gunpoint. The man again put his hands in front of her to protect her from me. I'm just a black man running, I said hurriedly. I was out of breath. I didn't know what more to say. What went through my mind was the possibility that this white couple might be scared and might have a gun, a lethal combination that that the world would deem justifiable to inflict harm upon my body. White fear has always proven to be dangerous for a person who is just being themselves. I pointed to my office building and I said, this is my office, I'm Philip Lewis, pointing out the sign at the front that said Office of Philip J. Lewis. The woman lowered her hands, grabbed the man's arm and walked away without saying a word. It took everything I had to continue my afternoon sessions. The emotions hit me hard. First, I was angry at myself for thinking I had to justify why I was walking into my office building. I was mad I didn't do something more to justify what I was doing and my existence in the space in front of my office. But I also knew these instinctual reactions were a result of my training. I was taught that there was a genuine, incredible concern that something problematic could happen because of whatever thought these people had about me as I passed by. (laughs) That night, I thought to myself, 
I can't let this impact me this way. I must do something to make this feeling right for myself. I must practice what I am telling my clients. From now on, <laughs> I thought half jokingly, I'm, if I'm running, I need to have a t-shirt that says just a black man running. A mission was born from this trauma. This experience impacted me so much that I scheduled a session with my therapist the next day. I told her the story and expressed the, my frustration and thought of making a t-shirt to feel safe while running on my lunch break. I was anxious at the thought of preaching just being, knowing that my clients could be endangered like I was if they practiced what I preached. She looked at me and said the most freeing words I have heard since I was seven years old on that bike in Sanford, Florida. She said, you're allowed to feel what you are feeling. You're allowed to do what you think will address it. So make the fucking t-shirt. So I did. And that's how Just Being Incorporated was born. I invite you to join us as we find and create spaces for people of color to exercise the right of just being. But with that, um, I had the the conviction to start what is called Just Being Incorporated. It is a nonprofit. And although it has some of the similar um, concepts or thoughts of uh, other organizations that provide uh, mental health services, things like that, it's will be distinctly different because even the staff I pay for out of my pocket, out of my work as a private practitioner. So 100% of the proceeds will, will go to a few particular things. The first would be um, expressions of just being through art. And what I envision as we raise money for this year is on the 23rd of February, commemorating our, our brother we lost just for running, um, we'll have a um, art expo where we'll hold um, hold a space where they can install their art or their expression for free. And it will either be traveling or start in DC and it will raise money for two other initiatives. The, the second would be a wellness institute, which would teach um, neurobiology, coping skills, mind-body um, responses and techniques to, to moderate the mind and body and wellness. We'll discuss and teach nutritional psychiatry, social justice counseling, and, you know, have some fun, uh, practice wellness. And then you'll also have the option of speaking with or participating in some intensive evidence-based therapy um, with a pr practitioner while you're at the, the wellness retreat. And then you'll get a coach for three months afterwards where you meet with once or twice a month to make sure you're reinforcing what you've learned nutritionally or, or physiologically to make sure that you're going out in this world um, be as best prepared to, to, to respond to what might come to you. And that will all be free as well. So if you want to join the fight, if you want to disrupt the system or make sure that there are spaces that people can just be, why don't you check us out at justbeinginc.org and contribute to the cause. This has been Philip Lewis. You were listening to the after session. I thank you so much for being here. Just remember that you have the right to exist, a right to just be, and you don't have to fight for that right alone. Build your tribe, because taking care of yourself is revolutionary at this time in history. Wake up every day and ask yourself, how will I show up in the world today? And then just go from there. As always, be good to yourself so you can be good to others. You've been listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. 
If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the after session. Or follow me on Instagram at the after session underscore. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one L-A-W underscore music. Be good to yourself.